Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. So I want to give a disclaimer before I start this morning, because you can see in your sermon notes that I'm going to be preaching on the greatest book in the Bible, and you might be saying, that's awful bold to say. How am I the foremost person to know what is the greatest book in the Bible, right? And it's not to take away from what we're learning in Philippians, because when I was first ordained by you and pastor, pastor had me go through Philippians several times, and it's a wonderful book of the Bible. And it is one of the greatest books of the Bible. And like I said, it's all great, but if I had to choose, and this is strictly my opinion this morning, but if I were to choose the greatest book in the Bible, well, I'll explain that to you in just, in just a second. But if in your life the bottom is falling out, you'd better examine your foundation. And that's what the book this morning of Romans is about to me. And it should be about for us. It is a foundation in our relationship to Jesus Christ. You need a foundation. We need a, a sure word, a solid word, especially in unsure times. And today we're going to begin to talk about that foundational book, a book that changed the world. I've got many books in my library. I just pastor as his overflow into many other areas of the church. So we've got plenty of books here. But let me, let me talk about a couple. Because we know books are important. And books have great influence. Adolf Hitler, with his twisted and warped brain, wrote a book. We know that. And in that book, he espoused his Nazi philosophies. The results of the thoughts in that book were obviously horrendous things that took place on this earth. The World War, the gas ovens, the Holocaust, six million Jews exterminated, and of course his book. He got his ideas from reading another book by Nitschke, a perverted atheist. He hated God. He declared blatantly that God is dead. Hitler drank from that book, and his mind was warped. By the way, Nitschke is dead, and God is alive. Another man wrote a book we know of, Karl Marx. And Karl Marx wrote a book on communism, dialectical materialism, Das Kapital. People read that book. The Russian Revolution was born through that book. The Communist Revolution was born through that book. And millions of people paid their lives because of the philosophies and theology of that book. Others were enslaved, but ultimately they were ruined by the idea of communism. But nonetheless, it was a powerful book. Charles Darwin wrote a book, The Origin of the Species, and there he talked about blind evolutionary force that made, or was saying that man is made, okay? Or I'm sorry, not made, okay? Not created in the image of God, but rather he is an accident of nature. 
He has descended from the apes. And people read this book and they believed it. We read the Bible and we are told to believe it. What's the difference here? What, what point am I trying to make here? People read the book of Charles Darwin and made a monkey of themselves, believing that they're an orphan of the apes. What I'm trying to say really here is books have power, but no book has the power that the book that you have open in your hand right now turn to the book of Romans, because it has the power for good. It has the power for God and power that has changed the world radically, dramatically, and eternally, and the book that will go on through the ages, and it is the book of Romans. It has been called the Constitution of Christianity. Let me tell you the power of this book. There was a Roman Catholic monk. His name was Martin Luther. Martin Luther had tried to get right with God by ritual by penance, by good deeds, and by all the accounterments of the church. But his heart was empty. He took a pilgrimage to Rome, and in Rome there was some stairs, purported to have been the stairs that Jesus ascended in Pilate's judgment hall. They felt like the blood of Jesus had surely dropped on those steps. And I know I'm giving you a history lesson, so just bear with me. I'll try not to bore you, all right? But stay with me here. They thought that the blood certainly had dropped on those stairs. Martin Luther went to Rome, got on his knees on those holy stairs, and on his knees he began to pray on every step, kissing each step as he went up, asking God to bless him, trying to get closer to God. But he himself said... I was no closer to God when I got to the top than when I was at the bottom. Romans 1.17 burst alive in his heart and in his mind, the just shall live by faith. We must live by faith. And he saw justification by faith, which is the theme of the book of Romans. And he was saved, converted. He was born again. The Protestant Reformation began, and there was a great awakening. It swept Europe. It swept the world. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to stand here before you this morning and say, that was the great awakening, but I'm expecting the greatest awakening is soon to come. And we need to be prepared. We need to be ready to receive those who are going to come to Christ. Because I believe that wholeheartedly. We are not done. We've got a lot of work to do. And so, like I said, we're going to enter today in the book of Romans. Now, St. Augustine, Florida, gets its name from a man, Augustine. Augustine was a young college professor who lived a wicked, wild, and lewd life. But he had a burden of sin, and he tried to alleviate himself of that burden of sin, much like most of us try to alleviate our own burden of sin. How do we do that? Is it by sitting around and doing nothing? No, there is a clear-cut plan that God has placed before us and steps for us to follow 
to, to, to accomplish that. And so one time he was out in the garden seeking God, and he heard a little girl singing a song over a garden wall, a little song, take up the book and read, take up and read. Well, he thought to himself, well, what is this all about? He opened the Bible right to the book of Romans and began to read, and there he found a verse that stabbed him in his heart, and he found the Lord Jesus Christ and became the man that the people call today St. Augustine, one of the greatest theologians of the early church. What's stopping us for reaching others for Christ? I know in this last year, we blame a pandemic. I know that there are times that even us as the pastors, we talked about it and we were frustrated because we couldn't come to minister to you. Things were kind of put on hold. But as I I look back in this last year, and I look back even at my own ministry, I think about all the sweet times that we've had during that time. All the good things that have come from this. I think of the, the different things that have happened here on campus. I think about the different things that have even helped transform and even uh, change some things in my own Christian walk. Um, the thing is, is not, not only do I get my instruction from God, but I take cues from you. I see where the needs are. And I go and I try to, to, to do the best that I can to minister to you whether it's by phone, email, or even in person now. But when I refer back, and, I, and people always ask me, you know, well, you know, what do you know? And because they ask me about seminary, because I'm still finishing. And, and there are always questions of, oh, what are you learning? You know, how much longer do you have? Is it difficult? Yes. Okay. It's all those things. And the things that I learn are not, not just the books, not just the verses, which, by the way, I've been through the Bible six times, cover to cover, in the last seven years. But getting to that, I can't get there without you. I can't get there without a foundation. And you have provided that. This church has provided that foundation. We need to find where that foundation is. Like I said... There was a man named John Wesley. He was very religious, very well motivated, so motivated that he left England and went to America to be a missionary to convert the American Indians. He went to the state we call Georgia. He stayed there. He had a fruitless ministry there. He got on his ship to come back home. Obviously, he was discouraged and frustrated. And he met some Moravian missionaries. And these Moravian missionaries had the life the beauty, the joy of Jesus. And he recognized it. And here is a missionary whose job is to go and spread the gospel. But he noticed something that they had that he didn't. He didn't have the joy of Christ. But he saw it to them. He knew that he had to have what they had. So he went back to London. And there, at a place called Aldersgate... He went to a little meeting, and there they were studying the book that you have opened this morning, Romans. The man said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but who will convert me? 
He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed and I had the assurance of my salvation. Do you have the assurance of your salvation this morning? Do you know the love of Christ? Do you know what he brings to the table for you and what little we have to offer? Christ wants to give us everything for exchange of our obedience. Now, if I were shipwrecked on an island, and I was talking with Pastor about this earlier this week, if I were shipwrecked on an island and could only choose one book of the Bible to take with me, I would take the book of Romans. But the beauty of this is, is we don't have to take just one book with us. We have it all. We don't have to just take one. And thank God we've got all 66. We need to praise God for that. But what a wonderful book, what a wonderful book is the book of Romans. Now, we're going to look at the book of Romans and we're going to think about it as the book that changed the world, for indeed it did. And we're going to take a look at it like we might look at other books. For example, we're going to look at the table of contents, okay? What is in the book of Romans? What is the book of Romans? Well, let me give you a little outline. The first three chapters of the book deal with our sin. They tell us what's wrong with the world, and then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, they deal with salvation. And thank God, he doesn't just show us our sin, he shows us a way out, okay? And then chapters 7 and 8 deal with sanctification. You found out, as I found out, it's one thing to get saved, isn't it? It's one thing to be saved, but it's another thing to grow in the grace and knowledge that our Lord Jesus Christ is with us. He cares for us. He keeps his promises, unlike what we do. And see, and sanctification means becoming more like Jesus. That's all it means, okay? It's like like pastors preached before. It's just a fancy word that theologians use to confuse you. But sanctification is just that simple, okay? And so you go from sin to salvation and then to sanctification. And then, as you continue through the book, when you get to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, it deals with the sovereignty. It shows how God is sovereign over everything. How God, from eternity past to eternity future, is in charge, and what comfort we're going to find when we get in this passage that deals with the sovereignty of the, of the Almighty God. And beginning in chapter 12, where we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It shows us how to serve this sovereign God. How to be, in a very practical and a very real way, how a Christian ought to be. So that's the preface of the book. That's the table of contents that tells us what this constitution of Christianity is all about. Now, we talked about the table of contents and the preference, but who's the author? Who is the author of this book? Well, we know ultimately the Holy Spirit is the author, but who is the human author? Well, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Okay? So we know it's Paul. He was, he was a privileged Jew. He was a very brilliant young man. He was an honors graduate of the University of Tarsus. He was fluent in many languages. He was a world traveler. He was very strict in his religion, 
very much a student and very much aware of world affairs. He was also a Roman citizen. So that meant that he had the privileges that Rome had in this day. So he was a free man. He was not subjugated like other Jews. He could come and go, and he could travel as he wished. And beside all of that, he had the privilege of doing graduate work under a professor named Gamaliel. Okay? Gamaliel was one of the best teachers, if not the best known teacher, in all of that part of the world. Paul was his prize student. And on top of that, Paul was a part of the most strict religious sect in Judaism, the Pharisees. And not only was he a Pharisee, but it says later on that he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. So he was right up there, okay? He was thought to be the highest of the high, and he was at the very top. This man was prized and had a pedigree a mile long. But now I want you to learn some things about him and what happened to him. He met the Lord Jesus, and you remember on the road to Damascus, was gloriously and wonderfully saved. And now, what do we learn about him? Well, let's just start with the very first word in the first verse, Paul. Paul. Do we know what Paul means? Anybody know what Paul means? It means little. You see, his name wasn't always Paul. At first, his name was Saul, named after a king. Who was the original Saul? King Saul of Israel. King Saul of Israel was a big guy. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was tall and handsome and arrogant, as most kings were then. He was head and shoulders above everything else. And that's the name of the guy who wrote this book. But he doesn't call himself Saul. He changed his name from a big guy to a small guy. Why? Because God cut him down to size. He allowed God to be the head honcho instead of himself. And that's what it's directing us to do. In order for us to deal with our sin, we have to be cut down to size. A.W. Tozer says, God says, God will not use a man until he breaks him down. And that's what God was doing in Paul's life. He was breaking him down so that he could use him. And boy, did he use him in a big way. Let me give you a couple of verses that give an indication of why he changed his name. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is the grace given. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles. You know he saw himself in the sight of God as a nobody. This great man who preached the gospel to many nations, considered himself a nobody. And here we are in Winton, and we're tasked with not insurmountable things. But yet we fail miserably. Because we think the problem is bigger than we are. But with God and Christ... We can do all things. We can accomplish anything we set our mind to. This is why we have a campaign of bringing people back to the church. Not because we just want to pack the pews just for the heck of it. We want others to experience what we're experiencing here today. We want others to be here to fellowship with one another. Can we be safe about it? Absolutely. 
But we've got to be here to experience that. And that's why we're encouraging people to be with us. Do you guys know who Reggie White was? Anybody familiar with that name? If you're a football fan, you probably recognize the name. But Reggie White is in heaven today. But he used to play defensive tackle for the Green Bay Packers. And he was a minister at heart, and he was called the minister of defense. Now, it'd be just as simple to stand in front of a moving locomotive as to stand in front of this guy while he lines up and try to block him out. This was a big, big guy. I'm a big guy. This was a big guy, okay? Really big, okay? But he also had the same philosophy as Paul. He always said, I'm a nobody, telling everybody about somebody else who could save anybody. This was, and I know that sounds confusing, but he was an individual that, yes, he was a professional football player, but that was not his profession. His profession was to reach others for Christ. And he did that on the football field and off the football field. Now, I'm not a Green Bay Packers fan, and I rooted against them any time my team would play, but the man was very much like Paul and very much like David. He stood up, and he, he preached what he believed, and he lived that life in example in everything that he did. Now, you may be at some times... Sometimes I think we feel that we're too big for God to use. But he says, you'll never be too small for God to use you as well. Verse 1 continues, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. Now look at the word servant. That word means slave. It means a a particular kind of slave. And it's a word that means bond slave. If a man got himself in debt and he could not pay the debt he became a property to that man who he owned money. Uh, and, and that was in biblical times, okay? But he was what they called a bond slave, and he had to work for that individual because he indebted himself to that individual. But the Bible, in mercy, set a law, the law of Jubilee, that said after seven years, all the bond slaves had to be set free. So sometimes a bond slave, at the moment of his freedom, would say, wait a minute, I don't want to be set free. I'm better off under this man than I was by myself. I don't want to be free. I love my master. I want to stay under him. I want to be his bond slave. Well, if he made that decision that he wanted to do that, they called the judges of Israel and they would say, all right, let's put a mark on him. And they brought him to the doorpost and they would take his earlobe and would take an owl and put it through his earlobe, the Bible says. Thou hast opened mine ear. That's what it's talking about right there. That process of letting them know um, that he belonged to him still. And there would be a hole there, but it would be a mark that was a bond slave. So the the Apostle Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He became a bond slave, and that means he is a willing slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you say, you might say, well, count me out, Pastor. I don't want to be anybody's slave. You already are. Either you're a slave of Christ or you're a slave to sin. Everybody is in bondage somewhere. So you see, here's the thing. The unsaved man said, I want to be free. I am my own man or woman. He proceeds to go down in the worst degradation and bondage there is, the bondage of sin. 
Satan and sin ourselves are cruel taskmasters. But when a man says, I will become the bond slave of the Lord Jesus, I love my master. The Bible says, if the Son shall make you free, you are free indeed. He discovers the most glorious freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. If I had 10,000 lives, I'd give every one of my lives to the Lord Jesus Christ because it is Christ through that perfect bondage that sets us free. Now listen very carefully, you're going to miss this. So, A bond slave is not somebody who says, all right, since I'm his slave, it's no longer my will, I'll do his will. No, no. That's good, but that's not good enough. A bond slave doesn't say his will instead of my will. It says his will is my will. It is not laying down arms. It is taking up arms for the one that you love. Have you ever thought of the scripture that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your own heart? Sounds like too good of a promise for God to make, doesn't it? You say, okay, Lord, I love you. I want a million dollars. No, because you say, Lord, I love you. Now give me a million dollars. What is the desire of your heart? Is it really the love of God or is it the love of money? Let me tell you something. There's a man who told me this, and this was actually at seminary, and he said this, and you'll find it odd, especially from where, where I go. He says, I get drunk every time I want to. And I, and I was frozen in my tracks when this individual said this. He says, I get drunk every time I want to. And boy, I hope nobody pulls that little soundbite out of this message that I'm going to give to you, because it'll get me in trouble in, all, in obvious ways. He says, I get, every, I get drunk every time I want to. I don't want to, never been drunk, never intend to get drunk. I just as soon eat dirt. Okay? What he was really trying to convey to me in this class was you've got to take things out of context. And in the book of Romans, it's important that you dissect everything word from word, from verse 1 all the way through. We can't take things out of context. People say, oh, if I believed in eternal security, man, I'd get saved and then I'd sin all I want to because God's already saved me. If God loves me so much, it doesn't matter what I do, right? Well, I don't sin all I want to. I sin more than I want to. If you still want to, you need to get your wanter fixed. You understand that? We need to get our wanter fixed. Because you need a brand new one, and you need to be born again. Paul says, I am no longer a big shot. My name is now Paul, little. I'm just a little guy. But he says, I am saved. I am surrendered. He continues to read, and we'll look at it again here, but we're going to find something else about the author. He says, called to be an apostle. He didn't say, I'm looking for a profession, I just believe I'm an apostle. No, he says, I believe in the called ministry. And he says, thanks be to God who counted me worthy of putting me in the ministry. Now, anybody who's been involved in ministry knows that it was probably not your first choice. Sometimes we're prodded into it. But God knows better, doesn't he? He knows what we need. He knows what can accomplish his purpose. 
Like I said, he goes on and he says, I believe God put me in this ministry. I've sometimes thought about what I might do if I weren't in the ministry, but I can't think of anything. And this same chapter says we're all called. Verse 6, among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ? So it's not just the pastors. It's not just the ministry leaders. It's every single one of you sitting in a pew this morning. And yes, even the children. You are all called for a purpose. We are all called by God to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, to witness to those who come into our lives. God provides an opportunity, but a lot of times we overlook that opportunity. And that's the purpose of this. We come here to get, we get fed. But it's not for you to keep. It's for you to take out and spread to others. And that's what Paul did. Now, it's very important. The key word here, is, when he talks about separated unto the gospel of God, it's not separated. The key word in my estimation here is unto the gospel of God. Now, Paul had already been separated. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You talk about people who lived a, quote, separated life, and that is all of the outward sins of the flesh he abhorred. He walked the straight and narrow. They were so careful that they paid tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and that is when they were paying tithes. And they had little mint plant. They, they, they count all ten leaves, okay? And they would take one of them, the tithe, and give it to God. One-tenth of every sprig of mint, for example. So... God is not asking a lot out of us. I think that's really the point here. God does not require a lot. But boy, does he deserve it, doesn't he? And that's what Paul was trying to convey. I may be the little guy now, but God is worthy of something greater than I could ever be. God is greater of, of, of our very best and nothing less. And that's what Paul was trying to convey, and that's what the author is trying to tell us here in the book of Romans. But like I said, the word separated here is the word we get from our word horizon. If you go off up to a tall building somewhere, and you look around 360 degrees as far as you can see, that's the horizon. We know that. That's where the earth just tails off, and that's your world. Now, do you know how to change your horizon? Change your location, just change your location. That means we can't stay stationary. You want to see change in someone's life? Go to where they are. Be in church with us. You want to see a change in your heart? Go to the problem. Quit making excuses. We're notorious for that. But God is telling us we cannot be moved unless we allow him to move us. When you find the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find a new center. And then you're not going to be taking about what you gave up for Jesus because we know that's foolish thought. What have we really given up? If anything, we've gained more than we could ever deserve. You're going to understand when you have that relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to understand exactly what you have gained. 
Verses 1 through 4, right at the beginning of the book, he moves into the front burner. He says, folks, I'm the guy who's writing the book, but let me tell you who I'm writing about. It is concerning God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to understand the book of Romans. That should be a disclaimer right there in the preface. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to understand this. If you don't know the love of the Lord, you have to allow God to move within you. You've got to allow him to bring you to that point. You're not going to understand it unless God puts the light on in your soul. Like I said, Romans is a book about the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what Christianity is. Christianity is Christ. The author of the book, Paul, the hero of the book, Jesus. Paul's the author, but he's talking about the hero like we read in hero books. Jesus is the hero here, not Paul. And the theme of the book is the gospel. Notice how it begins again. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto what? The gospel of God. And right there, he tells us the source of the gospel, Paul did not make this up, okay? He said, I didn't receive it from man, neither was I taught it by man. It is the gospel of God, so don't tamper with it, don't pervert it. So Paul, he said to the Galatians, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than which I have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Why? Because a false gospel will lead to a synthetic salvation, that will lead you to a very real hell. This is not something to be taken lightly. Because I know people all the time say, well, you know, I've said the prayer and I, and I think I've been saved. I've gone, I've gone through baptism and I, I've done the ritualistic things that people recognize as a change of heart, a, a, uh, a, a time of being born again. But what part of your Christian life indicates that you are saved? Why do we have churches that are filled with moral worldlings who have never been born again? You know, church is supposed to be a sheepfold, but a lot of times churches are more like a zoo. Why? Because people have met religion, but they've not yet met Jesus Christ. They've met denominations, but they've not met Jesus. They've met programs, but they have not met Jesus. They've met causes, but they have not met Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a creed. It is not a code. It is not a cause. It is Christ. Meanwhile, many come to church just for social reasons. Some must get good cell signal here because they come and they surf the web. Sorry, youth. I know that you guys do that, but it's true. They come here and they just sit on their phones and and that's it. We must get good cell service here. But I will tell you that as we sit here, we know that Wenton Baptist Church is all about Jesus Christ. 
this is what we live by. This is what we teach. This is what we believe. This is what we live. You can take Confucius out of Confucianism and you still have Confucianism. You could take Buddha out of Buddhism and still have Buddhism. You could take Muhammad out of Islam and still have Islam. But you cannot take Jesus out of Christianity and still have Christianity. To take Jesus Christ out of Christianity is like taking the water out of the well, the blue out of the sky, notes out of music, and numbers out of mathematics. The source of the gospel is God. The subject of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And the supply of the gospel is in verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Do you know what grace is? Grace is what makes God save people like us apart from works of any kind. It is not ourselves that save us or even our decision to come to that. God has chosen us. We are selected. We are loved. By faith I receive the grace of God. And we learn that in the book of Romans. Because it is a wonderful book. It is a great foundational book. Because it's centered on Christ. It is the definition of Christianity. Without Christ, there is no Christianity. So Christ must be the center point. And if Christ isn't changing your horizon, then you need to get moving. Get off that building, get off that seat, and move where he wants you to be moved. A little boy came forward in a church service, He wanted to be baptized, and they said, Well, son, tell us how you got saved. He said, Well, I did my part, and God did his. Well, they didn't like that, and they said, Well, tell us about your part. He said, I did the sinning, and he did the saving. (laughs) Simple. Simple. But that's it. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We must be willing to witness because there are great consequences. And because we have great confidence in the gospel, we can do that. If we really know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can say the same thing Paul said in verses 16 and 17. I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We can have the same confidence that Paul had. Because the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel has the power to touch hearts and transform lives, and everybody needs this transformation. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But that's where we are stuck without the power of the gospel. But there's good news. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. 
I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is what Paul's life was centered around. This is what our foundation needs to be. So when I say the book of Romans is the greatest book in the Bible, of course that is my own opinion. But without a foundation, we have nothing. Without a foundation, God cannot begin to use us in the areas he would have us be used. Sometimes we need to get back to the basics. Sometimes we need to get back to simply just communicating with God. And part of that communication is being in prayer. We can't stress that enough. We need to be in prayer. Prayer for individuals in the church. Prayer for those who are not in church. Prayer for those who are struggling with illness. Prayers for individuals who are just down and out. And even praying for individuals we don't even know that need to come to Christ. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for missionaries. We need to be praying for those who get to places that we could never ever imagine getting to. We need to be in prayer. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has miraculous power for each and every one who believes. It can take lust out of and put love in. Make a prostitute pure, make an alcoholic sober. Give courage to a coward, give wisdom to a fool, and make a crooked man straight. Jesus can take away all those things. But not only does he take away that sin, he, pro- he provides us with something good. He provides us with an opportunity to not only change and transform our lives, but he provides an opportunity for us to transform others as well. But we need to start with the foundation. And part of that is recognizing your sin and being in communication with him, especially in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. And thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation. So rich and free. May the Lord bless us as we leave. And Lord, it has been great to be in your house today. Bless us as we go. We give you this day. And we thank you for all your blessings, Lord. And all of God's people. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.